We are live. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show where we discuss faith on the fringes and do our best to apply God's word to God's world. I'm Solomon. This is Julian. Yep. And today we're going to talk about education in the Christian family. But first, Julian, what the heck is going on in the world today? <laughs> today, the reaction to the greatest debate in the history of presidency. Lincoln, Lincoln <laughs> Douglas, step aside. On par. This is taking its place. <laughs> this is a debate that all other debates will be measured against going forward. <laughs> They're going to make animatronic reenactments of, <laughs> at the of Hall this, of Presidents. At Disney World. Going to go watch this. A bunch of seven year old men <laughs> angry at each other. Speaking oh, over you, just walk in, it's just the loud noises, like, <laughs> speaking over each other. Yeah. So, my, my, my initial reaction is that it was not as bad as I was expecting from what everybody was saying. You watched it later, right? You yeah, I, wa I watched it today. I didn't watch it live. I, I okay. needed some space before the, the craziness happened. Yeah. Uh, I w I'm like the guy who buys the iPhone a year later after all the bugs are worked out. <laughs> I wanted to watch it after I knew after what was hype. coming. Yeah, right. But, um... Yeah, everybody made it sound like it was the worst thing that had ever happened in the history of America, but I didn't think it was as bad. What were you expecting? Uh, I was expecting, from, <laughs> from what I saw online, I was expecting Trump to just be like foaming at the mouth, blathering idiot, which he was still a loud mouth, but not as that bad. And I was expecting the moderator to be way more pro-Biden and anti-Trump and he hit Biden pretty hard in some points. Like he held him to some stuff. Yeah. Chris Wallace is pretty good. I mean, cause he's interviewed, he's interviewed Trump before and he's kind of asking questions and stuff, you know, and Biden like doesn't take interviews really. Like, <laughs> so that was kind of the thing going into this was like, you know, all Trump does is talk to people like Bob Woodward and <laughs> who, who was, who was the other George Stephanopoulos? Somebody is just like, mm -hmm why are you taking these interviews? And like, I guess that's his training and for the debate and like, whatever is just like, anybody who hates me, I want to talk to you. It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whereas Biden's the exact opposite. And it seems like the media really kind of caters to him of like, you know, Biden, why is Trump so evil? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> those are the questions that Biden gets a lot, I think. And so like going into this, I think they're coming from opposite sides, but yeah, man, it's a weird, like I'm trying to think of like any presidential debates I've watched all the way through and like remembered, and I can't really think of them. Or, there was like, a couple of points, man, where I was like, "That's a good point," but nobody's gonna remember that because of everything that's going on. Yeah, that happened a lot. That happened yeah. a lot where good points were made, and it's like, yeah. but who, no one's gonna remember that. All they're gonna remember is just like this beat down. And I think you don't, <laughs> you, you you might not. Uh, be so shocked and like uh, you come from the the WWE world, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's like this was nothing, of course. You know, but for a yeah, it was just another promo. Week. This was the go home show. This was Hulk Hogan <laughs> and The Rock face to face before WrestleMania. This is you're expecting. So you were expecting like Ultimate Warrior, like that's I'm really gonna yeah. Tear you apart, brother. I was, yeah. I was waiting. For for more veins to be popping, but <laughs> those videos are nuts of the Ultimate Warrior where he's like, he fool up the rocket ship. <laughs> and nobody knows what he was talking about. What? That's <laughs> but he looked hyped, so you were into it. 
oh man i was like holy crap but <laughs> yeah um yeah i think good points were made uh but yeah it, it, they're they're gonna be forgotten they're like everything is just clouded in this in this crazy arguing screaming talking over each other interrupting you know it was just well, a mess to watch the two, the two that stuck out the most was there was one where biden was trying to hammer trump on the economy yeah he was like we handed you a great economy and you blew it and the moderator this is the part where i was like this he's way more impartial than people are saying he said can you really say that's true when unemployment yeah. was at a record low until yeah. the coronavirus hit and i was like that's a valid point like the but, i mean he, he did he did start like debating trump and I think he was good at the beginning, but then he got worse over time. But I think that's a lot of, but I think that's a lot of Trump's fault of just keep of just keep talking yeah. over. He did even bedroom. Chris Wallace was trying to take control, and yes, and, and Trump just wasn't having it. So then Chris Wallace like drifted to Biden's side. <laughs> it felt like you know because <laughs> this guy's yelling at me less, so I yeah, like him more because <laughs> it was yeah <laughs> yeah exactly because it was a part where Biden was saying, uh, you know, I, I can't I can't even keep track of what his client you know what he's saying all the the rabble that he's saying and then chris wallace is like laughing like yeah it's hard for me to keep up too and it's like okay you're immediately on his side now and and just like debating trump yourself and uh yeah it was nuts man um yeah there was a lot of good points as far as like the you know trump asked biden uh you, you name one police organization that uh uh <laughs> yeah exactly um you name one police organization that's for you, one law enforcement agency that that is for you, and he's and, and you know Biden didn't have an answer. But the problem is Trump didn't let that sit. You gotta you gotta throw that out there and let the silence, you know, speak <laughs> for you. Oh. Yeah, that like seconds of a bite of Biden. Uh, there's no law enforcement agencies for him. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, but he didn't do that. He just kept talking and talking. So then it gets overcrowded. So then people forget that people. It doesn't stick. It doesn't land. Right. You know, whenever you're just going on and on. Um, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of crazy stuff like the taxes. Look, but Trump's taxes, he said in the 2016, yeah, I don't pay my taxes. That makes me smart. I mean, like this was what he's, he's saying. not wrong. <laughs> Nothing, this, this, this was supposed to be like a bombshell for the New York times. Like he hasn't paid taxes. We paid $750 in taxes. It's like, oh yeah, that that's a bombshell. It's going to sway the election because a lot of Trump supporters, you talk to a Trump supporter. <laughs> they're like, he should have paid less. That's crazy, and and right. you know what? A lot of time, you know, he he uh, cut the corporate tax. A lot of people got like a little money in their pocket for that. So he's anti-tax. Well, so are Republicans, right? right. And if, if anything, and is, if anything, he swayed a couple more voters over to his side with that, right? And so, and, but also, uh, the uh, he didn't write the tax laws. He's uh, he's not doing That's anything true. illegal, right? Right. If he's gaming legal tax loopholes, uh, I mean. Okay, you know, he, he, the, the, the argument is that he should voluntarily pay more in taxes when he doesn't have to. It's like, okay, maybe not. But yeah, and then, you know, so like, I don't think that's going to be a big, you know, stick for anybody, for any Trump supporters or whatever. Um, I mean, that was a lot of Biden's. It's like, shut up, man. <laughs> would you would shut you up, shut man? Shut up, man. Yeah. A lot of Biden stuff, though, was talking about how much money he was going to give people. There was one point that really stuck me, and I was like, man, he should have hammered him harder there, was uh, the, the moderator brought up how the Democrats were talking about either stacking the Supreme Court with more oh, justices yeah. like, like yeah. more, or a filibuster to keep the vote from happening. Yeah. And he asked him if he would support that, and Biden just straight refused to answer that question. Yeah. 
And I was like, that that's, was an, why would you not answer that? That doesn't make any, why, why? Yeah. And that was the, uh, but that was the shut up man part, right? That was like when he was yeah, like, <laughs> answer. but it's true. Like Biden's never answered that question and that needs to be answered. Like, Hey, are you going to pack the court? Like, cause look, you know, there's no stopping the vote. There's, right. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett's going to be Supreme Court justice. That's just it. The, the, the threat is if you do that before the election, then we'll pack the court. Then we'll stop the filibuster. Uh, you know, all these things. And it's like, okay, he has to answer that. And he didn't answer. He just completely got away with it. And it's like, okay, that sucks. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, you shut up, man. Yeah. That was crazy. Um, the big thing, the biggest thing I think people are taking away, at least from the headlines I've seen, is the proud boys thing the yeah. white the white supremacists are like will you right now condemn yeah. white supremacists and i i don't know why trump doesn't just say yes f white supremacists i hate them i condemn i i condemn any white supremacists i condemn and you know he's like well you know yeah i'm willing to i'm willing to it was almost like sure me yeah okay i'll do it and it's like why can't you just take a hard line stance against white supremacy and he's like give me a name what you know who who like who should i condemn and then by think biden or something thought oh, proud boys you know uh, white supremacy, proud boys and he said proud boys okay stand stand back and stand down or stand what do you say stand stand down and stand, and stand by. by yeah and that and so now and that was just like oh and they say like, but but somebody needs to do something about antifa which is 100 percent true as well oh, so true and then what was biden's response to that antifa is an idea Antifa is not, not an organization. Antifa is an idea. Mm. It's like, and then like, and Trump is right. Are you got to be kidding me? Like, are you crazy? So, as so well, of course, everybody runs to go. What? Who the heck are the Proud Boys? What? What is the Proud Boys? So, in just even that fact of nobody knowing at all who they are might tell you something of how like dangerous right. they are, right? right? Like, maybe not. Maybe not very dangerous. You know. Uh, but they're the 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 evil, the white supremacists that are in the streets every day shooting, you know, black people <laughs> and uh, leftists and and freaking out. They're the dangerous ones, the proud boys. Okay, so who are the proud boys? I kind of did a deep dive on this. Um, I think, as I'm sure a lot of people did, but um, I okay. So the first time I ever heard about proud boys was when Gavin McInnes was on Joe mm. Rogan. Now, Gavin McInnes is a <laughs> cartoon character like is probably the best way to explain it like describe him i mean <laughs> if you hear him talking for for 20 minutes you, you're gonna think this guy's a racist male chauvinist crazy person like he's just nuts but apparently this is like his borat or his yeah, bruno like he's like a, it's like a cartoon character he's literally like in costume like and apparently he started like the whole hipster look like he, you know, the the old timey clothes and right. the mustache and the suspender, like he was, he was doing the the pen protector and the girl, you know, he kind of started that whole thing. Well, he one of 2000s. the who who he is, kind of one of his big claims is is that he was a co founder of Vice, Vice before they yeah, went until big. they until they went left and then right. he, they <laughs> voted him out. They kicked him out basically, and then he started like an a, a advertising agency who also kicked yeah. him out for being too crazy. Yep. but he's just he is an extremely polarizing. He's banned permanently banned on Twitter. Mm-hmm uh and facebook uh so he and and if you if you see any videos you don't understand why like he doesn't mince words he's just very which again is so he's very pro-male he's like an anti-feminist anti-leftist 
yeah, uh, anti like, oh, that's politically incorrect to say. I'm gonna say it <laughs> because it's politically incorrect to say, not because it's what he truly feels in his heart. I, I think. Anyway, he he was with this guy Anthony Cumia, who was at the Opie, Opie Anthony show, who also I think got kicked off. He got you know yep. canceled, Anthony Cumia. So they have this organization called uh, Compound Media. It's like podcasts and videos and radio shows and things, as far as I know. So, and Gavin McInnes was was part of that with with Anthony Cumia, and they had a guy that they worked that worked with them, like an intern, like a young guy, whatever, named Brett Ratner. And they literally, Anthony Cumia said he literally hired him because his last name was Ratner, and they want to call him Rat. And so, <laughs> and so they hired him, and he's this kind of. Uh, skinny, goofy kid, you know, very timid and just very kind of like, uh, kind of soy boy, you know, right. guy. And so they were calm rat and they're all like, you know, making fun of him and stuff. Like, oh, why don't you have a girlfriend? Why don't you get laid? Why don't you, you know, and he's just like, oh, I'm waiting for the right girl, whatever. So he's just kind of this like beta, basically, I guess. And they were like, you need to, so they would play, and he would go to Broadway shows and stuff. So of course they just like, they just <laughs> made fun of him for that. And they would play him Broadway show, show tunes. Like they would play show tunes for him when he was in, you know, they just like mess with them. And, and I guess it was all in good fun. Right. And one of the show tunes that they played for this guy, making fun of him, was from the Broadway version of Aladdin called Proud of Your Boy. And it was like, it's like Aladdin singing about his mom, I guess, who he's an orphan. And so he's like, I'm, you know, I hope you're proud of your boys. Like, it's just big Broadway lavish musical right. number. Right. And they, but they would play it for him. It's called proud of your boy. And they started making, they started joking around and say, we should start a gang or a club or a fraternity or something called the proud boys where people can, where guys can get together, drink, get laid, talk about girls. And just like, it's like a frat boy male chauvinist thing. Right. And call it the Proud Boys, you know, from that song and from what they call him and stuff. I guess they're calling him Proud Boy. And so, which again is that like, you know, think of proud, you think of gay pride and like boys and you know. But right. it but it was a what is but it was kind of an attack against that as far as like against the soy boy look, against the beta look of just like we're gonna cuss, we're gonna drink, we're gonna talk about girls, we're gonna just whatever, even though girls are, I guess allowed in the proud boys <laughs> and they have it's like an ironic name yeah and they have chapters all over the world of all different minorities and ethnic groups there was actually a black guy black proud boy member came, like a video of a black proud boy member saying this is ridiculous so okay so anyway that's how it started that's how it started and that was gavin mcginnis involvement within anthony kumi and how it, how it started well like a lot of things it morphed and evolved into something different and so because of its, it's it, it, it calls itself pro-Western, pro-male, pro-capitalism, pro-Western you know Western ideas and stuff, which a lot of people take to mean pro-white, um, which isn't true, but that's just how it goes. And so that so that's how it got, and, and with the complete lack of political, political correctness at all of anything, it got infiltrated by white supremacists and uh, Gavin McGinnis removed himself from it, disavowed it, said, I don't want this. But how it started, though, with the violence is that Gavin McGinnis would speak at colleges or, or certain places and Antifa would show up and start riots, basically. So he he employed the Proud Boys as like their his private security, right, mm. to like go. So they became anti-Antifa, basically. Okay. And so that which meant brawls in the streets with Antifa. Right? right. And again, this is like a handful of brawls in the streets with Antifa. So in okay, so if you're against Antifa, you must be the Fa. 
you must be the fascist, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you fight Antifa, you're the fascist, right? So, and, and so they became the fascist, white supremacist, racist group, right? Right. And so, so that's what it is. And so there was like a, a big brawl in Kalamazoo, and uh, you know, and again, handful of, of documented cases of of actual Proud Boys causing violence, starting fights, whatever. And and most of it is in response to leftist rioters and Antifa crazy people. So that's what the proud boys are. And so, and that's basically it. And again, you've never heard of them, right? Uh, But I'm pretty sure you've heard of Antifa and I'm pretty sure, you know, they're not an idea, right? Right. But that's, but that's what's so difficult is because they don't, they're not centralized. They don't have an organized leader like Gavin McGinnis that they can scapegoat. They don't have a charter saying these are the rules of Antifa and these are the membership requirements. They don't have, you know, they don't have all these things that proud boys do. Proud boys have that, like all, all these membership requirements or whatever. So because they're organized, that's why Gavin McGinnis got banned from Twitter because of proud boys and why people who support Antifa have not been banned from Twitter because you can't pinpoint, you can't target it. Right. Right. So, yeah. So that's what proud boys are. That's, that's the whole (laughs) thing. And when you hear it, it's like uh, an Aladdin song. What a beta guy? Like what? <laughs> you know, what, well, it was a couple of guys Ooh. drinking and making jokes, and yeah. it got away from them. <laughs> it became three guys and ten guys, and now it's worldwide. Now you know whatever. But again, you've never heard of them because that's how minimal these people are. There, if you compare Antifa to Proud Boys, Antifa has the higher body count. It has the higher property damage count. It has a, I mean, it, there's no comparison in the danger levels of, of Proud Boys versus Antifa. And right. so if if Trump is winking and nodding to the Proud Boys, then Biden is winking and nodding to Antifa, 100%. And you got to look at which group is more dangerous. Mm. I mean, we, I mean, that's just like, if you turn on the news for five seconds, you can see this, you know, it's... Not a lot of Trump supporters out there <laughs> lighting buildings on fire. Yeah, I mean, right? I'm not, I'm not leaving the house. I have never left my house scared that I would run into a white supremacist. That just has never <laughs> happened in my life. But lately, yeah. I have been real worried about going downtown because I'm like, okay, what's going to yeah. happen? You know, hundred percent, totally. So yeah, that was, and but that's the, you know, that's but the thing is, the media winks and nods to Antifa too. So there's not going to be any headlines of that. Like Antifa is an idea and it's totally nothing and it's a myth and it's safe and it's whatever. And everything's going to be like, look at this video of the Proud Boys brawling in the street. Look how terrible they are. They're evil. Look at Gavin McGinnis. White, you know, racist. That's what it's going to be. So there's yeah. a uh, two, there's a really good interview. There's a channel on YouTube called uh, 1791. They do like political commentary, but a little more from the kind of from the center. I, w- I guess I would call them libertarian at best. They did one about a really interesting uh, debate Tucker Carlson, Carlson had with Ben Shapiro about mm. automated jobs. And, oh, yeah. Uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. It was it was really interesting, the video they made. Because they, they, basically, Tucker was saying that humans need to feel productive in order to feel like they belong. And the loss of jobs is why we're turning up with drug addiction and stuff like that. Ben Shapiro was saying, no, humans need spirituality in order to feel like they belong to something bigger. And that's why we're seeing... Uh, drug addiction and suicide because we don't have spirituality in America anymore. And they were making the point that maybe it's both. Maybe we need mm-hmm. both and it's not one or the other. So it's really interesting. But they did a full interview with Gavin McGinnis about the 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 uh, ban from Twitter and kind of his legal stuff that he's going through. And it was interesting to watch because it was like you said, the, the costume was gone. The cartoon character was gone. It was just a dude like trying to plead his case as to why he's not what he's been painted out to be. Just super interesting. So yeah, it's yeah. worth looking at. 
It's hard, like, seeing Gavin Guinness because there's a lot of things that I see that are, like, it, it's like I see someone who's blind mm. tr- almost getting it right, you know, <laughs> talking because you know talking about, hey, don't hate yourself for being men, you know, and, like, right. gender genders have roles. You know, there are gender roles, you know. So these things that are, like, near hits on, on truth, right. but he, he's just lost and blind, and so – it's going to devolve into this racist, you know, sexist craziness, you know, because that's all he knows is the cartoon character and just replicate what he's seen on TV. He's trying to be right. Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it's just, so he's, he's got nothing but fictional characters to model off of rather than like Jesus Christ and truth. And, right. and I mean, the proud boys is, is the proud boys is roughly project mayhem. Like that's what I think of when you talk yeah. about it. That's what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> not nearly as destructive. Like, not as destructive, right? Not as destructive. Not organized, but <laughs> destructive. <laughs> yeah, it, it. But but I do see this. This. It, but it does speak to uh, this uh, culture of lost boys. You know, mm. mentality of like these these men who who have certain ideas and and thought processes that are being told that are toxic, and it's like don't be a leader don't be in charge. Don't, you know, and so it kind of, and so the only way to lash out of that is to be a male chauvinist pig. And it's like, no, that's not, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're not, you're missing it, but you're right. There's a problem, but that's not right. the solution. This is not mm-hmm. the solution. Yeah. Part of that too, uh, to, to branch off the debate into our topic for tonight. Yeah. Uh, one of the points that was brought up was about reopening this, the country. And, you know, when, when they hammered Trump about the economy, he was talking about how it's still closed and we need to open up. Biden was saying it costs a lot of money to open up. And one of the things he mentioned was schools, that it costs a lot of money because we needed to supply a lot of things to schools for safety precautions. Uh, a friend of mine was talking about how uh, at a school they had one of those. He, he didn't know how to describe it except it looked like a leaf blower, but it just shot out sanitizer. So they were just like <laughs> blasting down everything in the building with sanitizer. Oh but uh, yeah, school is kind of nuts right now. Yeah. And, you know, with everything going, I, I saw an article that 60% of people are saying that they're just not going to send their kids back to school when they yeah. reopen, which is now. So 60% of people are looking for alternate ways to educate their children. Yeah. And what's crazy that's about nuts. that. Yeah. 60%. Like that's, yeah. that's the majority. <laughs> that's well, the majority nuts. that answered this questionnaire anyway. Yeah. That's nuts because I thought the general idea was that like, we can't, keep our kids from school like we can't homeschool our kids we can't put them in private school we can't whatever like they have to be in public school i thought that was the general consensus but you have a majority of parents saying we were choose not to send our kids to public school so you're able to make that choice don't you have to go to work (laughs) like don't you you know like that's weird so yeah that was really surprising yeah and i think what changed was the pandemic when when other options opened up and they realize like, oh, we can do this online or we can hire a tutor or yeah. any any myriad of other yeah. options. It, it opened up their eyes to, well, maybe there is an acceptable alternative that we can yeah. still do what we need to do, but also get these kids educated. Yeah. Have you heard of pods? No. Um, it's like homeschooling in a group in your neighborhood with mm-hmm. like six to ten kids, you know, and it's like the parents kind of get together and agree like, hey, let's get a teacher in like you know, or they're all in the same class in the same neighborhood, but they don't want to send their kids to class. Though, right. but it's like I, I don't know how to teach my own kid this, these subjects or whatever. 
they'll do it online, but together just so they can help each other with homework and it feels a little bit like a class, but it's like six or seven kids in these what's mm. called pods. So it's like group group homeschooling kind of thing, which is really cool because you do still get that like social, you know, the big stigma against homeschooling is that like, oh, they're going to not be, you know, be socially inept or they're not going to be able to function in society and stuff. And it's like, well, first of all, it's not true, but, um, <laughs> wait a minute. I saw a lot of girls at the mall in floor length denim skirts, <laughs> still wearing scrunchies in 2004. Modest, modest is hottest. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's just like the social whatever, but I mean, you still play sports. You still have family, you still have church right. and, and other different organizations and stuff. And you get these, I, I think a healthier dose of social interaction mm. that kids have rather than all day with 30 kids who you're just put in with you the same age but um yeah so yeah uh a lot of different options opening up you know that article i sent you about those pods teachers are getting yes. like jobs kind of independently underground teaching jobs uh teaching these pods and like or a group of you know small group of kids uh and making more money than they would have made as teachers so it's like a tiny little private school for like two or three teachers and they can all get together and teach like 10 kids. So, which I mean, really that cool. just surface level, that just sounds ideal. Like a teacher right. has fewer students to focus on so they can direct more time. Right. The kids have fewer people to compete with for attention so they can get more learning out of it. That, I, that just sounds ideal from the beginning. It also right. sounds super old school. Like it sounds like a schoolhouse, basically. Right. And I think that's so, how public school started was much smaller, much simpler. And so when, when support behind public school was starting, it was like these kind of neighborhood pods. It was like your little village or your little neighborhood or whatever had a, a state-funded school or like everybody pulled their resources together and built a schoolhouse and you send all your kids there. You're not teaching them at home anymore. Because, I mean, public school for you know, human history is an extremely recent development. But we treat it like it's been here since humanity started. You know, like that's just what school is. That's what education is, is public school. It's like that is the most recent development of education. For centuries and millennia before, education was the responsibility of the parents, right? Oh. Um, and that, you you know, but a lot of it was like I'm going to teach my kid how to work the farm so when he gets older he can work the farm. <laughs> and that was education. What does he need to know? He needs to know how to feed himself and hunt and farm and protect himself and that's what i'm going to teach him because that's how you stay alive you know so there's a lot of survival skills and that's just you know hunter gatherer kind of things and that's where we started um edu educating in the home hmm. right uh but yeah so then that but then that just grew i mean like after the enlightenment and after food production gave way to technology and people could form governments and bureaucracies and politics and stuff where people could not spend all didn't have to spend all their waking hours staying alive right right they could think about other things like inventing things and technology and you have the enlightenment and you have science and develop of development of all these philosophies and sciences and stuff so that that led more to to education kind of as we know it as like math science history those kind of things um and but even that was even even then that was still primarily the, the responsibility of the parents uh, until public schools came along, but which again, it's only in the last like couple hundred years right. of human history. And the other charge against homeschooling that I hear a lot, and I think it's comical, especially now, is that homeschooling is a tool to brainwash your kids so that they think exactly like you. And that's just that's hilarious now because 
public schooling is a tool to brainwash your kids so they think exactly like how the government wants them to or how polite society wants them to especially now like the 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 pictures in there's a picture that was floating around about a school that had a banner that said this school believes that love is love uh reproductive rights are human rights uh black life like all of the politically correct statements in like an elementary school it, which mm-hmm. is so bizarre so yeah. i don't know how they can level level the charge anymore that well private school is an indoctrination center or homeschool is an indoctrination center well so is public school it's just what religion do you want your kids to believe in at this point yeah it's the myth of neutrality right it's it's the idea that there is this neutral ground that's like non-biased you know whatever and then like and then from that you get religion and radical ideas and, and whatever but it's not it's not true there's no there's no right. neutrality like that's the like the biggest thing people can get pounded in their heads. There is no neutrality. Yeah. Everyone has a worldview, even the teachers and, and government curriculum creators. Like they have a worldview, and your kids are going to be indoctrinated. There's no oh I don't want to homeschool because or private school because I'm afraid they're going to get indoctrinated. So I'm going to send them public school where there's no indoctrination. <laughs> that's insane. You're you're that's completely idiotic. All there's always indo- indoctrination. It's just a matter of who is indoctrinating them and what right. worldviews are getting pounded into their head. They're mm-hmm. going to come out with a worldview. A worldview is, is going to be taught to them. It's just a matter of who's. And, you know, I mean, the states, you know, I mean, the secular humanism is a religion. It is a religious worldview. And the philosophy of naturalism, just like nihilism and transcendentalism and theism and like all these isms, it's a, naturalism is a philosophy. It is not right. a fact, brute fact science, but it is the philosophy that is first presupposed and subscribed to, to where you get materialism, evolution, big bang, materialism. It's naturalist materialism. You know, yeah. that's, what, that's what it is, but it's, it stems from the philosophy of naturalism. Well, why don't we start with the philosophy of nihilism? Why don't we start with the philosophy of uh, uh, existentialism? Why don't we start the, the philosophy of theism? Well, it's a philosophy. These are philosophies. Why are we starting with the philosophy of naturalism? Mm-hmm. And that's what's being promoted in schools. As in, and we think that's a neutral ground. And, <laughs> and it's just insane. And, you know, I want to say, why did we lose the ability to think in terms of worldview? But it's because we've all been, been all have been fed the same worldview through public school. So you, you don't think of naturalism yeah. as a worldview because that's the worldview that you're fed from the start. Right. That's just where it begins. So uh, Dr. Bonson talked about that in one of his video, one of his lectures. It's really good on YouTube. Box, Bonson versus evolution, I think is what it's called. And he talks, he talks about how evolution is not science, it's philosophy. And that sounds foreign to us. But when you think about it, it's true. Because one of the things that evolution, uh, science has to be repeatable, observable, and uh, falsifiable. Evolution right. meets none of those categories. So it can't right. be scientific. It's, it's, it's uh, philosophical in nature. Yeah. Right. So it's just funny that we've we've accepted a worldview not because we've tested it or proven it or thought about it deeply, but just because we've been fed it for so long and yep. generationally we've kind of absorbed it as a way of thinking. Yep. Um, so we posted a video on our YouTube page this week. I, I had the time to sit down with some, uh, with a family from my church and talk about their homeschool experience. They've been homeschooling for a while now. They have three kids. Their oldest is I think 12. So they've been homeschooling for a little bit. And uh, I kind of talked to them about homeschooling and, what really stuck out was one of the things that the father said 
um, I asked about the idea of sheltering because that's another thing that often gets leveled against religious people and homeschoolers is the idea that you're trying to insulate your children from the world. You don't want them to know how things really are. And so I asked him about that. And the, the response he gave was really telling. He said, they're going to see these things. They're going to get out and they're going to encounter them. And he said, I, I don't want to block them from how the world is. What I want to do is lay a foundation and then I want them to build upon it. And I thought that was super interesting because he's not trying to, um, you know, iron fist their worldview and tell them this is what you have to believe. But what he wants to do is give them a solid foundation with which to analyze everything that they're going to encounter. Right. Yeah. And again, that's where it comes back to worldviews, because what your worldview is at the basis is going to be what you look at everything else through. That's why we call it a worldview, how you view the world. It's your filter or everything right. gets passed through. Right. So it's yeah. just it's it's bizarre to me that there's so many. Christian parents or, or even uh, maybe people that wouldn't consider themselves Christian, but do have some kind of a libertarian stance or uh, haven't fully embraced the nihilistic naturalist materialist idea who do believe in some kind of absolute that are just okay with their kids being fed a worldview from somebody else that they really don't have any idea what it is because you don't, you don't spend that time with them. You're not in the school. You don't know what they're learning. You're just assuming that it's what you were taught. You're assuming they're being taught facts and truths about nature and science and math and all that kind of stuff. It, it's or a really you, strange thing. Yeah. Or you don't remember anything from school and just like, like I honestly, I don't think people think about it. People, mm. I don't think people think twice about how am I, how are we going to educate our kids? Like, unless they're talking about private school, you know, mm. like some, some rich couple is like, we're having babies and we're going to send them to this nice private school, whatever. Like that's, that's probably the only thought any parents ever give to it. I think for the vast majority is just public school. What do you mean? How are we going to educate our kids? Public school. Mm. They're going to go to, we're going to, we're going to buy a, a house in a nice neighborhood with a good, a good school district. Uh, so that like, that's the goal in buying a house. That's the goal right. is like, well, we got to be in a good school district for the kids. It's like, why? It's like, well, cause you know, we, <laughs> it's like, okay, so they're going to buy an expensive house or it's like somewhere that they may not even really want to live uh, just because it's a good school district. Uh, so the kids can go to that public school. And, and it's like, why? It, 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 but they're not even mm. thinking about it. No one's even thinking twice. Like, this is just what you do. Mm. That's just what school is, is public school. It's free. I don't have to pay private school tuition. Couldn't afford it anyway. And so there you go. I'm going to, that's what you do. And both parents work. And I send my kid to public school. And we go to soccer practice afterwards. And that's life. That's just what you do. And no mm. one thinks twice about it. And everybody's miserable. <laughs> you know, and parents well, don't know but, their kids you know they don't mm. know what their kids know they don't know they have no clue what's going on in their kid's head and that's the whole thing of like oh you know these christian families with their kids in public school are so shocked and surprised and can't can't understand why their kid went off to college and just left the church and, and lost their faith mm. and they, you know they went to youth group every time and they were there every sunday and they went to church camp and they did all the activities and I just can't understand why they went to college and lost their faith. Like it's just this big mystery mm. and you know, frat parties, alcohol, sex, freedom gets blamed, which has plenty of blame to take. Um, but I think it's also the parents responsibility to capture their children's heart for Christ mm. at a very young age. And, and that's right. the thing is the kids will conform 
to a certain standard, but they won't be transformed and they won't mm. love the standard of God in, in the Bible. They'll, mm. they'll, they'll conform because these are just the rules of the house. Right. Mm. I don't, right. I don't drink. I don't get, I don't have sex. I don't cuss. I don't, you know, drink. I don't, whatever. And those are just the rules. And then, and then one day they don't have to anymore. It's like, okay, <laughs> no one's watching me. I, I'm out of prison now. And so I can do what my heart always wanted to do the whole time. Right. right. And so, and so you have kids conforming to standards rather than loving the standards, mm-hmm. right? Or the parents never taught their children to love God's standard and, and desire to please God. So they've just been gritting their teeth for until they're 18 and can move out and join the Navy or go to school or whatever they want to do and literally do whatever they do. So you didn't lose those kids in high school. You lost them in middle school or mm-hmm. elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whenever the kid che- checked out and was like, I'm just going to go through the motions of this uh, Christian American culture until I don't have to anymore. And then I can just do whatever mm-hmm. I want. And then maybe in my thirties, when I get married, I'll come back to church. So <laughs> that's the mentality. That's how it goes. I mean, a big problem with that, too, is the idea that we think of the the mission field as something out there far away, right? Like we, when we think about missionaries, we think about foreign countries with people who don't speak English, who have never heard the gospel. Those yeah. are the people we need to be evangelizing. We don't think about the fact that, you know, our neighbors need to be evangelized or our, our friends at work need to be evangelized or our family needs to be evangelized. Like that's where evangelism yeah. should start, right? Yeah. And discipleship is a big part of that, too. Uh, it's kind of lost in the in the church we i mean you know we we try i think it's having a resurgence now the idea of discipleship and uh, older christians mentoring younger christians but i don't think parents think about discipling their children in that way yeah. and that's yeah. you know um as a ministry you right exactly like you know i don't have time to get into it right now but if we want to talk about like everywhere i've been uh in my life all the ups and downs i've been through it's been kind of all over the place but yeah. one of the things now looking back that i always am thankful for is that my parents did lay that foundation when I was a kid and that didn't go away. So like, even when I was out there, that foundation was still in the back of my head. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be here. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And instead what we're doing is letting somebody else lay a foundation for us. So like the verse that we have on the screen, Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That goes both ways. Like whatever foundation you lay is the thing that they're going to build on. So it can either be the correct one, the one that, that has the biblical worldview, the godly standard, or we can send them to public school where they're trained in a worldly standard, and that's the foundation they're going to build on. That's what they're going to come back. Yeah. Yeah, it is that. And, and it, the problem is when we're kids, and I think I've mentioned this before, when we're, 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 we're toddlers, our sin can't ruin our life, right? Mm. Right. Like I, when I have a three-year-old and two-year-old, their sin isn't going to ruin their life unless they like get injured or like burn themselves. Right. Or something. Like, you know, they throw a tantrum in the store. That's not going to ruin their life. Right. Right. And so, but so, you know, parents don't, uh, they just keep abiding sin and abiding sin and just like, yeah. you know, just, uh, he's a kid. He's two, he's two, he's, two, you know, whatever. And it's like, you're right. Sure. There's only so much responsibility, so much whatever. But then the kid starts getting older and that abiding sin and, and just appeasement just keeps going until their sin can ruin their life. Right. You go from mm-hmm. jumping on the couch and, and throwing a tantrum in, in the store or a restaurant or whatever to drunk driving and getting your girlfriend pregnant. Right. And you've been abiding, abiding sin the whole time. And then now all of a sudden they're teenagers and their sin can really ruin their life. And then parents freak out and start trying to throw a bunch of rules on. And it's not going to work. It's way too late, right? The kid's already 
or he's on his own doing what he wants right. to do. And so it doesn't work. And so then they, they just kind of conform to this Christian standard until they don't have to anymore and they leave. Uh, so that, you know, the, the, the key is to what I understand again, my kids are young, but just from, you know, uh, stuff that Doug Wilson says and, uh, things I've read is that, uh, the, the parenting uh, like technique or whatever is to rule an iron fist at the very beginning, hold everything really mm-hmm. tight and strict, you know, tie their shoes, cut their meat for them, you know, and just have real strict everything. And then slowly as they get older, mm-hmm. take take off right and let we give more liberties and restrictions hoping that it's baked in right the mm-hmm. values have been, have been baked in and so right. when you you know and uh doug wilson gives an example when his daughter turned 15 something like that so you can watch any movie you want they were super strict on movies you can't watch radar can't watch any movies whatever and that was like the, just instilling the values there and then they said you know we think we've taught you enough we think you in this in this area you can make the right choice and we're not going to you you are allowed to watch any movie you want we're not going to restrict any of your movies you want to go see a movie with a friend you can even if we hate it we disagree with it we've we think you've made that choice and by then she didn't want to because that that value of mm. of pleasing god and wanting to you know do the right thing in that area was there and so she didn't desire to do those things at that mm. point and so that's the point that's the thing you don't just wait until they start doing things it's like oh crap i'm going to respond i'm going to be reactive as a parent mm. to what right. my kids happen to be doing as if you have no control over that or, or involved of shaping that but and that goes with education as well of what they start believing about life about truth about science i mean gender everything you know it, it touches everything and those worldviews are, are connected. There's no escaping it. Yeah. And, you know, Doug Wilson, speaking of gender, he talked about this uh, on, on, on a, his interview with, not interview, but the co-video he does with Dr. White, the Sweater Vest Dialogues. Yeah. Uh, they talked about that idea of, of science and gender. And he was saying how, in, in some ways, it's an attempt to destroy the image of God because humanity can't destroy God. Right. We can't reach up into heaven and pull him off of the throne down here to take care of him. But what we can Mm. do is destroy the vestiges of his image here on earth. Right. So if that means destroying the idea of gender, because that's how he chose to create man and woman, then we do that. If that means uh, getting rid of religion as he revealed himself, we get rid of that, too. So it's this idea of not respecting the God in heaven enough to respect what he's given us here on earth. Um, Now, one point I want to kind of get to and I kind of want you to talk about a little bit is the idea that a lot of people still do think I can't homeschool. For whatever yeah. reason, either they think they're not qualified to, either they think they can't leave their job, or they just don't know where to start. Yeah. One of the general consensuses is, "Well, I can't do that." Yeah. Um, I think personally, if if you, it's kind of a w- weird tangent, but there was a lot of uh, w- when I was involved with some anti-vax people. One of their big problems was, "Well, the school requires us to be vaccinated, so we want to force the school to change their standard." Yeah. And my my suggestion was, why don't you just homeschool? If you don't like what the school is teaching your kids, then why don't you do it yourself? And that was just outright like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's I have a job. I can't do that. Yeah. And it, it kind of comes down to like, what, what do you value more, your job and your stuff or your children? Yeah. Yeah, that one's hard for me because uh, I grew up homeschooling and my mom was single and worked three jobs and homeschooled two kids. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've kind of seen it done. You know, right. wasn't, wasn't very comfortable all the time, but I mean, mm. I, I, my, my sister and I are not the people we would be, uh, that we are without that. 
I mean, we were, uh, I was on a fast track becoming statistic. I was single mom, poor neighborhood, public school, ragamuffin kid, you know, just a idiot, you know, even at seven, you know, <laughs> eight years old, you know, mm -hmm. just bad kids and bad neighborhood and all these things. And she was like, nope, that's not going to be for my kids. And so she did what it took to homeschool. And she yanked us out and yanked me out in second grade and homeschooled us till I was in 10th grade and moved. So yeah, that one's a little hard. Cause it's like, I've seen it done. And, uh, there was this meme. It was like the, I can't, I can't afford a homeschool starter pack. And it was like big house, big car, nice, you know, all these nice things. <laughs> and I think it really does come down to, um, like that. Uh, it, it, a big part of that is a two income trap, right? So we, we have a consumer, a, a consumer world, which is geared to a two income household, not a one income household. Yes. Right. Especially with like young people starting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, a couple gets married. They, they graduate college. They thousands <laughs> of dollars in, in college debt, student loans, right? They have their degrees. Uh, they have good jobs. They both start working. And with those two jobs, they buy cars and they buy a house and they buy a dog and they pay, they, they build a certain two income lifestyle for say like five years, right? Three to five years, travel, eat what they want, you know, all, these, all everything, everything that right. balances up and they have two incomes and say, wow, this is really great. You know, we can afford this. And it's true. They can. And until they have a kid and the mom says, Hey, I really love this kid. And I don't really love my job very much. And I want to stay home and uh, be, raise my baby, you know, at least until they're seven or, you know, go or kindergarten or whatever. Well, that's about five years. So, but, but their bills are a two income bill. <laughs> they have a two income house, a two income car, a two income everything. And they can't afford to cut their livelihood in half. Right. So that's where daycare comes in. That's where schools come in. You know, that's where the government comes in and says, hey, we'll watch your kid for you. You mm -hmm. know, all the property taxes you're paying with that two-income property tax, two-income house, uh, they're paying for schools over here. So we're going to we'll take your kid and, and basically raise them for you. Um, and so then so then, what choice do they have? It's a trap. It's literally a trap. It's a two-income trap, and they literally cannot afford on their livelihood, on their lifestyle that they've come to be comfortable with, afford to – live on one income yeah. and not to mention all the gender role feminist uh, <laughs> elements that go into that of like, you must work. You have right. to work, be a good woman. And it's like, you don't even know what a woman is. Uh, that's what I never, I'll never understand about the transgender argument and the feminist argument is they can't even <laughs> define what a woman is. What is a woman? A strong, confident person who takes charge. And you described a human. What, <laughs> what makes you uniquely woman? Right, and that's something I never understand. Trans, a transgender woman, a guy saying he feels like a woman. What does it mean to feel like a woman? Mm. You want to wear a dress? You want to put on lipstick? You want that sounds pretty sexist to me. That makes you a woman. You know what I mean? It's like, right. what about all these just natural, human, strong, good character qualities that you can't have as a man? Mm. Actually, I'll never understand. And and, and in fact, I, I see it as extremely offensive. For any man to say he knows what it feels like to be a woman and to have gone through the puberty of a young girl and all the things that that entails, 
of a menstrual cycle, of body image issues, of all those things, it is extremely offensive for any 25, 30-year-old man, whoever, whatever, to say, I know what it feels like to be a woman. I mean, that's just, that's just offensive. And girls to guys, if you've not gone through the puberty of that <laughs> of a certain sex, male or female, you have no right, and it's extremely offensive to say you know what it feels like to be a man, to be a boy. You have no idea what it feels like to be a 12-year-old boy. So I don't even want to – like it's just so insane to me. And you can't even define the two things anyway. So come back to me when you actually define what a woman is, and then we'll start I'll start hearing you about you feel like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's another thing that you can't learn at school. Like what, what you're talking about when you talk about gender roles and what it means to be a woman and what, what it means to be a man, um, you know, whatever baggage you have with that, that, that's something that you kind of figure out from your family, right? Like the way that a man acts is the way that your father acts. That's the first thing that defines what a man is. Uh, maybe as you get older, other stuff starts to pour in. Yeah. Uh, maybe media, maybe other people in your life that starts to pour in. And what a woman is like is what your mother is like. That's what you start to see. And, and that's your first concept of that. But for a lot of us, that wasn't where it started. It was school. That's where they teach you like, no, well, this is what a man is. And this is what a woman is. And this is how a man should act. And this is how a woman should act. Uh, down to when, you know, when again, when I, if you guys haven't watched it, if you check our YouTube channel, the video on there is called Guarded Hearts, uh, which I think is apropos to the, the subject we're talking about. Yeah. The uh, the father was talking about how public school is difficult for boys. It's not really designed for boys. The idea of sit still for eight hours, don't talk, don't move, yeah. don't talk to each other, don't do anything. Pay attention, yeah. focus, listen to me. That's a very feminine way to interact, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're we're friends because we work together. Otherwise, we probably would have never have met in any other circumstance. Like we don't, <laughs> men don't go out looking for deep conversation with each other to form friendships. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. forget who uh who said it but they said women form friendships face to face men form friendships side by side yeah and in this yeah. uh i mean you've talked about it before how public school sets you up for either uh an office job or jail it, it's basically a factory to put you out through that and yeah. uh, it kind of is that it's the cookie cutter everybody fits this mold everybody gets these scores everybody needs yeah. this test that's how you determine that's how you do school yeah yeah, I mean it's the it's the from desk to cubicle or you know just or, or gel cell. Um, you have to ask to go to the bathroom. You have to you know it's just these this perpetual uh, uh, childhood. And that's the thing with like homeschooling is that if if you look at a kid in public school, going to class, bell rings, he moves, and you can look at a homeschooler, which is is much more independent. It, it what it looks like is someone working in a cubicle job that they hate. They kids hate being in school. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus someone who is uh, their own boss, entrepreneur, has their own business, works from home, uh, makes their own hours, makes it, you know, the homeschooler is that person. The public schooler is the person trapped in a cubicle. Mm. And like those are the, those are the mind, the way the uh, minds are being molded, basically. Mm. And there's exceptions, not, you know, everything. Right. But yeah, I, I think it does kind of form. Like, what do you want your kid to be, an employee or a boss? Like, you know, I mean, I want my kid to be a philosopher king. So, I mean, mm -hmm. like, that's well, – public school is not going to prepare him for that. <laughs> so, and, and the whole thing, too, of, like, well, I can't teach my kid. You know, it's like, okay, well, why? Because I, I, I don't know enough about these subjects. Mm -hmm. So, well, didn't you go to public school? Didn't you go to school and learn all these things? It's like, Yeah. It's like, okay, and, and you can't teach your kid these subjects and these things? 
<laughs> no. Well, then why do you want to send your kid to those same public schools to grow up to not know anything and be able to teach their kid, right? I mean, because you don't learn in, a, in, in public school. You r retain and regurgitate, right? It's not this. Yes. We, yes. We've, 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 we've lost the, the actual tools of learning, of like how mm -hmm. to actually learn. And that, yeah, it's just call and repeat call and yes. response and when you have 30 kids in class that's kind of all you can do right you don't have the time right. to like piece everything and answer all the big why questions for mm. all things you know get the kids to learn how to think you, you can't you just don't have time it's just true like just the circumstances of it doesn't allow for that you're teaching to the test you gotta teach to the test right. so they can get to your test scores so your school district can get more money yes that's what it's about like that's that's the goal so yeah that's, and that's i mean yeah. That's it's an interesting way to put that because if if your your kids' education is for test scores and test scores are for funding, then your children are a commodity. <laughs> that's that's how the school is going to treat them. Like the, these these children are a commodity to get what we need. And I I mean, do you want your kids to be considered a commodity or do you want them to be considered an investment? Which is you know a different thing. I think we we. Uh, we've been reading through Romans at church. And, and one of the things that we talked about, or one of the verses that we got to last week in chapter five, I think, no, I'm, I'm off on chapters. Yeah. Uh, but it was the, the portion where Paul talks about um, since we've been given grace, do we sin more so that grace may abound. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about in that chapter is that he says, uh, once you were a slave to sin, therefore there was no expectation of righteousness on you, which is interesting because we don't expect sinners to be righteous, right? We expect them to be sinners. That's what you expect. Right. But when you're a slave to righteousness, there's an expectation of righteousness. Hmm. And uh, one, one of the things that I thought about with that was the idea of the talents, right? The parable of the talents was that when you were given something, you were expected to do work with it, right? And it wasn't that you were expected to do something far beyond your means. The person who had five doubled that and that was okay. The person who had two doubled that and that was okay. It was less. But it was still okay. The only person who was uh, considered wicked was the one who did nothing with it. Yeah. And I don't think we think of our children as investments from God. Mm. I, I think um, one of the things that's kind of crossed my mind a lot in the secular world, children are kind of looked down on. Yeah. They, they get in the way of your, like you were saying, when you have two income lifestyle, children get in the way. Now we can't travel. Now we can't do what we wanted. Now we can't have the career we wanted. So the idea is put off having kids as long as possible if you even have them. And yeah. if you have one too early, all you got to do is kill it. Not a big deal. We got government funding for that. We'll get rid of it. So just on the numbers, Christians should be outnumbering uh, secular humanists just because we have kids and they don't. Yeah. But for some reason, we're not. And the only thing that's the linchpin, the only thing that keeps that going, I think, is public schools. Because yeah. we keep having the kids, but then we send them to them to get trained, that's which exactly is so it. bizarre. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, by, by sheer numbers, yeah, the, the, the godly worldview people should be outnumbering the godless worldview. But the problem is the godly people are the, – the godly worldview-minded people have the kids, and then they – send them off to the godless people to the worldviews to be taught and so they turn them godless so it's like you're 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 having them but you're not doing the work of of molding their minds and and doing that so yeah you're right the the professor the college professor has no children will teach your children mm. that's that's what it just comes down to and that's why that's the secularization of the world i mean if if all christian families even, you know, the evangelifish, you know, <laughs> the typical American, you know, especially them, 
were to yank their kids out of public school, the government schools mm. would be done because the numbers are there. The numbers are right. there of Christian kids in America in public schools are, are huge. So if every if all the parents of, of Christian parents took their kids out of public schools, they'd be done. It just wouldn't happen. And we're kind of seeing that with the pandemic, right? I mean, it's like that's what's happening. Like they're you know even teachers don't want to go teach and like they're just not you know uh yeah so and, and we see 60 percent of people not wanting to send their kids to public school that's awesome i don't know if those are all christians but just those are what's what's happening but um yeah man i, I think if like you know she said it was like was it op options create opportunities right. or whatever and like man you want to start a classical christian education school now is the time to do it <laughs> and you uh, know uh yeah. Doug Wilson talked about that. And one of his kids told the story. I forget if it was Nate or if it was uh, Rachel Jankovic who told the story about being with him when he was giving a lecture at one of the universities. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I, I always talk about with politics is the reason that it focuses on the young people is because it's hard to convince someone who's 30 to change their worldview. But it's really easy to give someone who's uh, 13 a worldview. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when Doug was speaking at the school, they kind of understood he's a lost cause. And they told him, we might not have you, but we'll have your kids. Mm. Right. And he said, oh, I'm, you must be mistaken. Not my kids. And he was right. He, yeah. he wasn't wrong. If you know his kids now, they're as, you know, gung ho as he is for uh, the Christian worldview and, and God's law and God's standards. They're, they're in that same boat as he is because he did what he needed to do. They didn't have a school that they liked, so they started one. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm not saying everybody needs to start a school, but you need to, need to take your children's education seriously. Yeah. And, and, and there's, you know, uh, of course, someone's going to say, well, I'm, I, I believe the gospel. I'm a Christian and a faithful Christian, and I would be public school my whole life. That Like, that's a lot of people because a lot mm -hmm. of people went to public school. Right. So the majority of people went to public school. And so you, you pull the handful of Christians out and say, like, oh, well, there's exceptions to the rules, or whatever. Right. So, and of course, there's going to be exceptions to the rules. Of course, there's going to be kids who go to public school, get a chance, and and again, this isn't like, yeah, you know, any any single mom with three kids working three jobs. I'm not saying this is ideal. Like, this is what you ought to do. And so, it's like I don't want to add trouble and hardship to your life of like now pull your kids out and homeschool them, right? Right. Uh, but the ideal situation would be to teach your own kids and, or mm -hmm. to, to provide your kids, your own kids education, whether that is a private school or private tutoring or a Christian school, uh, or even just having your kids in public school, but being extremely involved with mm -hmm. their education and knowing what they're learning, go through their stuff with them. Mm -hmm. Like, like if, if you can't, you know, yeah, if you if you work and both parents work, whatever, like make it a hobby of yours to be in your kids' business with school, and right. know know their teachers, know their friends, know what they're doing, know their class, know know their books they're reading, you know, and 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 just and so you can you know immediately put out little fires that kind of grow of <laughs> godless worldviews that might pop up, you know, mm -hmm. and so you're there to kind of whack them all them down as they right. pop up as they will. So that's, that's an option too, that you don't have to, you know, but just being extremely involved with your kids in public mm -hmm. school, you know, and there's high odds that that kid will come out, you know, with a, a heart intact for Christ. Like, <laughs> you know, well, and, so. and one maybe kind of pushback I want to give about against anybody who would say, 
uh, why I went through public school and I turned out fine. I, I think we forget that the world is different now. Like the world yeah. that we came up through and the world that our kids have inherited is not the same. Like at, at no point when I was growing up, have we ever been confused about how to define male and female? Yeah. That just was not a thing. Um, at yeah. no point when I was growing up, did we have access to the entirety of the internet at the yeah. touch of a button? That was not yeah. a thing. It's a big game changer. Huge. So, I mean, you know, to say, well, I went through it and I was fine. You didn't go through the same world that they're going to be going through. And I think that's yeah. important to factor in. Um, and once again, I'm not saying fence them off from the whole world, but you need to understand that the rules to the game have changed. It's not, it's not the same. Yeah. And, it, and that's how it'll always be like with, with our parents, with their mm -hmm. parents and with our kids and their kids, it's going to be a different situation raising them up. So it's like, oh, well, you know, the, they're going to experience the same public school I did. No, they're not. Right. Like it's completely different. There are no metal detectors, mm. you know, in my elementary school. Now there are. You know? <laughs> and that's another thing, too. Like, this is just insane of school shootings and girls' cliques and eating disorders and, and just sexual. I mean, it's just insane. Like, there's so many. Like, when I went to public school, and I was considered, uh, like, I went to public school when I was 15, in 10th grade. And I would say I, would say I went to a, a good school, you know, mm. on pretty good school district in, in, in San Antonio. But I was going from homeschooling. I was going from you know, homeschooling since second grade to 10th grade, new city, mm. didn't know anybody. And I was like freaking out, you know, going to public school. <laughs> and not the, well, yeah, the first day was registration and all that. You get your school ID, right? Right. So we're standing in line and I'm just like, just stand in line, whatever, get ready to take my picture to, to get a school ID. And a couple people in front of me, they're talking, uh, oh, hey, I forgot to say, uh, my parents are out of town, so we're going to get high this weekend. And I was like, not to me. They said that to each other, and right. I, I heard it, and I was like, oh, I've never heard kids talk about getting high with each other. Like, about it. I, was, I, I, I thought it was a movie. Like, you see this in the movies, and I'm like, well, <laughs> that's so corny. That doesn't happen. That's just, you know, but it does. It's like, wow, okay, there it is. Like, oh, I saw it. Um, and then not, you know, I think that same week or, like, very early on, uh, this kid sitting next to me in class, and he's like digging in his shoe for something, like in his sock, and it, and like weed comes out, like a pack, you know. <laughs> and and I and I and I kind of just like look down and see it, and he looks up at me and is like, and, and it was almost like he saw I saw him open up some gum, and he's gonna I'm gonna ask him for some, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he kind of looked at me with that kind of obligation to be like. I can pick you up, man, you know, if you want, whatever. And I was just like, right. oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's better than what my sister saw uh, fall out of uh, a friend's backpack in the middle of class, which is a handgun. Uh, so, oh, yeah, Rihanna was in class. Wow. And this kid was reaching his backpack and a handgun popped out. She saw it and saw him. It was like, and I think, like, the teacher saw it, too. So it was like, ah, wow. that was yeah. it. And so, but, yeah, it's Jeez. like, holy crap, like, what? They make bulletproof backpacks for kids. At what point are you going to quit your job and do something about <laughs> raising your kids, right? Like, I have to send my kids to public school. I, have, oh, I probably should get them this bulletproof backpack because well, I got to keep my job. Vacations don't pay for themselves. Hate. Yeah. And, and I think I, I think what's crazy, too, and like the pandemic is really showing this, is that a lot of women hate their job. Mm. 
if you're a doctor or a lawyer or some kind of humanitarian or something like changing the world and helping like you invested so much in your career and you have a master's degree in this and you're doing great things and stuff and you have a baby you're like man this sucks like I, you know i really invested in this and i love this and i feel i find a lot of purpose and meaning in my job mm. and but i also find a lot of purpose and meaning being a mother there is that conflict there that's true that's real but i think a lot of moms just like work at the bank or the at Walmart or something, and they just hate their freaking job, but they have to keep it because they're living paycheck to paycheck and they mm. just have to do it. They'd much rather, I think there's so many moms that would much rather stay home with their kids, raise their babies, especially babies, like newborn babies. Like the, the, those first few months are so impactful for kids as far as like overstimulation of a daycare as a newborn and mm. like all the science is there. And a lot of women are seeing that since in a Christian worldview thing, this is just a scientific fact of mm. just overstimulation for newborn babies. The best thing for them is to stay with their mother for the first few months. It's like, Oh, we need more maternity leave. You know, it's like, okay, do you love your job? Like what <laughs> again, that, that's what it keeps coming back to is like, you know, a lot of women just don't really like their job, but have to work. They'd much rather stay home and raise their baby you know, at least for the first few years of their life, those formative right. years, but they can't, they'd have to go work at target. But you know what I mean? Like it just sucks. It's like, man, that sucks. <laughs> they don't want to go to this job, deal right. with their boss and customers or whatever bull crap they have to do in their stupid J O B, you know, mm -hmm. like this isn't a career. This isn't a, you know, like whatever, but a lot of women have to work a job they hate rather than raise their kids. And that just sucks, man. Like mm -hmm. that's like, that that really really sucks and that's the two income trap that's just like the worst you know mm. one thing if you love your job and find meaning and purpose in it and there's that real conflict of of, of what to do but it's another thing if you just hate waking up in the morning going to work and stand mm. hand your kids off to some strangers at a daycare and just like sucks like you know that that's a pitiful situation and you know i really hope this pandemic can kind of change some of that as far as people's <laughs> lifestyle changing and really finding out, reprioritizing what's important, especially mm. with their kids. And, and one of the things that kind of that kind of resonates with me, especially this week, I've been kind of seeing play out uh, when you talk about how it's important for them to be with their mother. Uh, I'm starting to realize how many behavioral issues stem from a lack of either attention or feeling like you have attention from your parents. Right. So my son this week, I've you know I've been with him a little more. And there's these, these times when he's just flipping out and he's losing it. And there's times where he's totally calm. And what I've you know started to understand is the time when he's calm is when we're together playing. And the time when he's flipping out is when I'm doing something and he's having to play by himself. He wants my, and so it's like, what do you want? I want your attention. Yeah. That's what he wants. Yeah. I, I want to know that you're here and you care. That's what I want. That's so it's, it, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who, um, maybe resented their parents because they did feel kind of cast off or, or because they were uninvolved. And I think especially now it's kind of in vogue to be kind of a hands-off parent, you know, let them figure out the world for themselves, let them discover who they are, but that's not what they need. And that's not what they want. Yeah. They want structure. They want someone to tell them, what am I, what am I supposed to do? What's right. right? What, what do it's I the, uh, to go? Uh, Rebel Without a Cause when he had that big climactic scene after the, the car has gone off the cliff and he doesn't know what he's I you better tell me what to do and you better tell me now. Like he just yeah. wants some answers to something. Right. Yeah, but that's you know, like we've got a bunch of childless child psychologists talking about like, <laughs> what to do. And it's like, well, what's good? You know, they leave them alone and let them 
fend for themselves and stuff. And, and like to a, to a certain extent, there there is a, a something good about not accommodating every uh, tiny insignificant need for your kid. Right. You know, let them you know struggle a little bit and, and face some things. But as far as guidance and like big picture stuff, like no, they they it's the word like I, I heard parents say like you know when it comes to religion when it comes to marriage, when it comes to any like important thing, uh, I'm gonna let, you know, I, I would hope that they uh, read a lot of different things and, and kind of form their own opinions on it and world, you know, I've got my world, you know, bias and worldview and stuff, but I wanna kind of let them form their own. What that means is someone else is gonna form it for them. They're not like you are responsible for forming your kid's worldview or doing your damnedest to, to, to form that. Mm-hmm. If you don't, someone else will. There's no like they're going to piece it all together themselves because of the, the innocence of youth and the humanity. Like, no, someone is going to come in and be like, hey, I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you what to do. This is true. Right. That's what's, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like someone else is not going to be so timid about it as you are for your own kids. And they're going to teach your kids something and it's probably not going to be what you, what you have in mind. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's no, there's no neutrality. There's no mm-hmm. like just piecing it together. Someone is going to indoctrinate them and it better be you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, and, uh, so with this, so like this really great book again, Doug Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, recovering the lost tools of learning. I swear it's not the Doug Wilson podcast, but it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned like, we really seriously, we have a drinking game of like, every time someone mentions Doug Wilson, <laughs> we do it. But you know, I mean, he's just doing like everything we want to do, uh, publishing right. books, podcasts, multimedia, pastor, starting schools. I mean, this is everything we're talking about. So of right. course we're going to kind of gravitate to this solid Christian leader. But anyway, uh, which, which by the way, a plug next week we will be talking to the man the myth the legend douglas wilson will be speaking with these two nobodies uh, <laughs> and uh about his new book uh yeah he's written like over 90 books but um but his latest one we we reached out and he's gonna actually uh come on and talk to us it won't be live but we're gonna record it and then we'll publish it later on the podcast will we publish the video later too uh, or it's a little unclear on that if, if if all's good then yes but for sure it'll be in the magazine which i want to plug too uh if you guys are interested in that the interview will be in there and also there'll be an article about this the whole idea of homeschooling and where to start and how to go uh if you want one they are still free we're going to publish pretty soon uh once we get everything finalized it's been kind of tricky figuring out how to write articles when you don't write articles for a living but we're getting it together so uh all you have to do is email us timestamp zine uh your name your address and we'll make sure we get you one for free absolutely free so just make sure you get to us. The original plan was to do one themed on school for right. September. Uh, but then we got this Doug Wilson interview and it's like, okay, well, maybe we should wait for that to like kind of kick off. And so we're going to wait for that to be able to kind of transcribe that into the magazine and kind of talk right. more about what our conversation with Doug Wilson. So, but uh, yeah. So anyway, this uh, book, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning, an approach to distinctly Christian education. Amazing, mm-hmm. fantastic book. Every parent thinking about educating their kid in the Christian worldview should read it. Um but this is a really cool part I wanted to read. It says, uh, obviously educators want to get the students to think in class, but the real goal should be to get them to think in the hallways between classes, right? So that's how like, you're really teaching a kid to think. It says, education is a completely religious endeavor. It is impossible to impart knowledge to students without building on religious presuppositions. Education is built on the foundation of the instructor's worldview. 
and the worldview of those who develop the curriculum. It is a myth that education can be non-religious. That is, that education can go on in a vacuum that deliberately excludes the basic questions about life. It is not possible to separate religious values from education. This is because all the fundamental questions of education require religious answers. Learning to read and write is simply the process of acquiring tools to enable us to ask and answer such questions. That that's it. That's, that, I mean, that says everything I'm trying to say. Like the education, language, logic, science, reason are building blocks to answer the big questions that every person asks. Mm. And public schools right now, they barely give you the tool. They don't even give you the tool efficiently enough. Let right. alone the answers the 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 processes to answer the big questions that drive anything a kid's going to do, a career he takes, a family he leads, anything. The, the, mm. the public school is just completely inept of doing any of those things, right? Mm. It's really interesting to frame them in that way too when you talk about language, logic, things like that, because that is directly what secular humanism is going after right now. Like mm -hmm. even language, even definitions. Words don't mean what they, what they mean. Words mean whatever you want them to mean. They have their, The meaning is fluid, uh, just like gender is fluid. Everything is fluid. It's whatever you want it to be. It's it's yeah. it's interesting to see it framed that way. They get it. For some reason, we just don't get it. Like yeah. whoever controls the language controls how people think. Yeah. And I, man, we should know that because there's a whole book about it. In 1984, that was a whole idea. <laughs> Nothing means what it means. Everything's been changed. All records have been falsified. It's it, 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 That was what was really interesting in 1984 when he talks about how they police language so that you don't even have the words to think about what you're trying to think about the system. You can't yeah. even put an idea together because you don't have the words to put the idea together. Right. That's kind and of that, where we are now. And that, and that's the, so there's something called classical Christian education, CCE, which, which mm. I would be a big proponent of, which we plan on homeschooling our kids in that, or are you trying to start a private school with our church or, or get involved? Cause it is a classical Christian education organization here in San Antonio that kind of yes. co-ops with, with homeschoolers with that. So right. we completely plan to do. And that came from Doug Wilson, but also came from uh, Dorothy Sanger. Um, she, she wrote an essay like in the fifties uh, and that Doug Wilson read and was like, Hmm, this makes a lot of sense. And it was about recapturing the lost tools of learning. Yeah. Dorothy Sayers is her name. She wrote a book called The Lost Tools of Learning. And uh, Doug Wilson recovered the lost tools of learning in promoting this, this homeschool program, basically called Classical Christian Education, which is the classical, logical, rational method of the Greek classics, uh, Aristotle and Plato and things, with Christian values and worldview, right? Mm -hmm. And mold those to think logically and rationally, uh, but with an actual real substance of Christianity. Right. Um, and so with that, with the, how the grades would go, and, and uh, I forget the actual breakdown of like the age and the grades and stuff, which is you start with, uh, it goes through, it's the, it's the um, tri not, not trifecta, but like the, tri the, the three, it's the uh, uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, mm. right? So grammar is to kids when they're little, when they're little. They like to call and repeat. They like to memorize. They like right. to just download and absorb information, mm -hmm. right? A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, five, you know? Right. So that's when you teach them that. You teach them all the parts. You teach them all the letters, all the words, all the things uh, to teach to teach them and the numbers and everything uh, and the, the building blocks of, of learning. So they, they have it just like embedded in their head, just imprinted in their head. And this goes for language, 
uh, verb endings and like <laughs> all kinds of things for different right. for Latin, for Greek, for anything. And it just gets like burned into their brains. Right. And then logic is like middle school kind of towards high school age. Right. Right. Uh, when they start putting these things together, like how do these mm. things all fit together? Like, how does it work? How do you form a sentence? How do you form an equation? With mm -hmm. these letters, these numbers and letters, how do you you know put these things together and kind of string it all together with what came before, right? Rhetoric is the expression of these things in high school. So the, the expression of these things is well. Now I'm going to write an essay. I know how to I know what words are in letters. Right. I know how to put them together in a, in a way that makes sense. Now I'm going to express myself with an essay, right? So that's the grammar, logic, rhetoric kind mm -hmm. of trifecta of of the tools of learning. Right. And these can th these can be applied to anything: math, science, history, uh, biology, English, foreign language, anything. Everything you need, like you can learn the building blocks, learn how to put them together, and learn how to express yourself in those mm. things. This is something public school is just not right done <laughs> at all. So, well, I mean, you know, I went to private school, and I know there's a lot of parents who would think, "Well, our kids are in a Christian private school; that's good enough." But the, the concept you just laid out is not a concept that I had in private school. It wasn't that no. idea. You know, it's still memorize and repeat, memorize and repeat, memorize and repeat. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, most, most Christian church schools are just public schools with praying. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. Not, there's no difference, ultimately. And there's yeah. even mine was I, I don't want to you know my it wasn't that my school was horrible. What was, but, it, what was uh, the name of your school? What was my, it called? <laughs> so the name uh, first of all, I want to preface it. I want to preface this by saying that I have a son, so my heterosexuality is confirmed. <laughs> my <laughs> my school was called Rainbow Hills Baptist School. <laughs> Rainbow Hills Baptist, two things that shouldn't be together in a sentence, but, <laughs> but they are. <laughs> Rainbow, I don't think so. But we had yeah. a. Uh, we had a feeder system kind of. So the, the first red flag for me was that we kind of got, uh, we went through a Becca, uh, oh, books. We did a Becca. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, on the surface it was fine. Cause I, I learned to read and everything like that. And I actually read pretty quick because of the phonics systems that they had, but phonics, I, I, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, right. That comes through Bob Jones university, right? I think, or is it Pensacola? Mm, oh that yeah. Becca. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So, but the, the feeder system was one of the colleges that came to speak to us every year. We had two. One of them was Dallas Baptist, where I went for a little while, which is all right. Uh, the other one was Pensacola Christian School, which, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> if you don't know Pensacola Christian College, please look them up because it is everything that we want you to know that we're not talking about when we talk about a Christian worldview. <laughs> yeah. It is, you know, fundamental Bible believing, Bible preaching, yes. that's church. And we're talking like extreme, like male and female sidewalks, uh, stuff like that. Like, <laughs> so, and, uh, clarification. I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't date girls that do. <laughs> it was a trip. And you, what, what's, you know, the reason I bring all that up is because growing up, going through private school, that terrified me. I was <laughs> horrified that that's what I was being set up to go to. I, I, I did not want to be that. And I didn't know there was an alternative. Like yeah. when we talk about someone like James White or Doug Wilson or even a Jeff Durbin, someone who's Christian, but also articulate and well-read and able yeah. to deal with difficult topics and uh, engage on a level that in a fundamental independent fundamentalist Baptist level, you can't like, yeah. you know, Christ when we talk about, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was whole thing. Engage the culture, right. Don't hide from it. Right. Engage it, learn how to answer it. Yeah. And right now at this point, the, the time for hiding is done. Like it's, it's time to meet it head on. So uh, the first step to that 
I think is private school. Uh, not even private school. I'm sorry, homeschool. If, if you're sending your kids to public school, you're sending them ill-equipped and they're meeting it head on. You want to have them equipped to meet it head on. Um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to call it guarded heart, uh, this whole topic is because when I talked to the father at my church, one of the things he said that really caught me and I was like, wow, man, that's deep. He said, uh, we're in charge of guarding our children's hearts. And I don't think putting them on a school bus at five years old to figure out the world by themselves is guarding their hearts very well. And that was, imagine. yeah, I can't even imagine. especially now, like the, everything that's out there, I just can't fathom. I, I, well, I remember being five years old on a school bus. <laughs> I, I remember being seven years old on a school bus. That's terrifying. It's like, God, like nothing good, nothing yeah. Constructive or edifying mm. or fortifying, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe to end on this when we talk about this discussion, but one of the big things if you haven't watched the video, I can't stress enough. Um, I go to church with these people, so I know them personally, I can vouch for them as far as uh, they're not crazy. So, <laughs> when when uh, when I talked to them, and we, we sat down for about half an hour with each of them, but I boiled it down to a four minute video to kind of get in the high points. Um, one of the things that really came out, and I think is is a lost virtue of christianity is the joy that they have being around their kids yeah like the the whole exuberance that they had was like we get to spend time with our family what could be bad about that that that's such a lost ethic in the world but even in the church i think we kind of think about it in the same way even when we talk about uh kind of church itself like we still have sequestered age groups right like the, the kids have to go over there because i can't focus while my kids are in the room with me right or yeah. you know and it stays that way up until you graduate high school you're in the youth group and yeah. youth group is is glorified babysitting then uh, you go to you big know, church then you go to big church right exactly church. and children's church <laughs> then you go to big church you gotta be quiet oh man so <laughs> i i just think it's weird that when, when i you know, once I don't mean to pour on myself, but when I was doing my own thing, I didn't know anybody who had kids and they didn't want to have kids. No. Um, once I came back to Christianity, once, you know, by the grace of God, I was brought back to this, this worldview. Everybody had kids. Everybody loved having kids and everybody wanted to have more. It's, it's literally night and day. And I can't stress it enough. And obviously the people that you want to be around are the people who enjoy their life. And the ones who didn't have kids, they may not have wanted to have them because they thought it was it would interrupt their lifestyle, but they didn't like their lifestyle. They didn't like what they were doing. They didn't like themselves. And the people now who I know who have kids who plan on having more, they actually enjoy all of it, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, imagine that you find meaning for your life in God. Who, who could, who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah. It really is kind of a, I think a more male problem. Mm. Um, I think men are just indoctrinated by our culture to put off adulthood and responsibility as long as possible. Prolong adolescence. Yes. Just, you know, 20, 20, 30 is the new 20, you know, and all these things. And it's like marriage and children, that's game over, man. That's game, mm. you know, oh, man, you know, oh, they locked down. Oh, this, you know. <laughs> and it's like, that was such a pathetic, uh, mm. sad way to look at it. But I mean, it's kind of where our culture is geared. And that's where, like, that's what I would call toxic max masculinity, if, if at all, is just this prolonged peter pan syndrome this adolescence of like mm -hmm. i'm just gonna party and play video games and have fun and be free and and whatever like you know i remember this, this guy i used to work with uh or, you know he, i still work at my job he doesn't work there anymore but he uh which actually i think 
well, I don't, I don't claim too much credit for his liberation, <laughs> but he's a young guy straight out of college and working this job that, you know, corporate feel, you know, is what we are. But, uh, <laughs> so day jobs. Then. And, um, he, uh, uh, he was telling me, he's like, ah, this, my, my, my girlfriend all through college and through high school and stuff. And, you know, it was great. It was wonderful everything. And, but she moved to Spain for this teaching thing. And I, you know, I didn't really want to do that and stuff. And, you know, but everything was great, but we had to break up and all these things. And I was like, why? I was like, what? And, and like, he even like showed me a picture of her and I was like, they're like about to get married and like right. go to Spain or something. And like, you know, he's going to, you know, go with her. And, but he didn't. And I was like, wait a second. I saw they were at Disney World, so I showed a picture. And I was like, "What are you saying? What are you saying?" <laughs> so you tell me you could be living in Spain with her, but you're here doing this. And he, he was like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "I think you screwed up, man." <laughs> I don't understand. Like, you get a handful of of opportunities to do something cool like that, and. Yeah, wasted that one. Like, what are you doing? He wanted to be free. He wanted to be on Tinder. He wanted to be, you know, inside. Right, right, bro, bro, bro. <laughs> that's for the up. dogs, brother. You know, like, that's insane. Like, that's so dumb. And it is this just like stupid boyish, right? Yeah, adolescent, you know, thing. And it's just like to be put off rather than to be pursued. Rather than mm -hmm. be like, I can't wait to be an adult and like be responsible and like have a job and work and produce and have a family and lead them and whatever mm -hmm. you know i had a boss old kind of old school <laughs> conservative boss used to say uh -huh. i missed a time when men were men and women were happy <laughs> <laughs> and you know i think that is a lot of women are looking for a, a good man to to, mm -hmm. to to marry you know not to be boy, to, to be a know. man in the first place <laughs> yeah like to be a man they want to they want a man to to love and follow and, and have children and have a family. And I think that's where a lot of feminism came from is the men not being men, you know, mm -hmm. and like that's where a lot of it comes from is just men not taking responsibility and throwing that off. And then women marrying the government and just, you know, sending the kids to public school and, and doing the whole thing. But um, yeah, I think it's a, a big male problem as far as uh, leading family, leading children, raising children, and like mm -hmm. having that real, really be a significant goal in men's lives. I think if that changed, that would be really the leaps and bounds for humanity. And, you know, the craziness of that is almost where it comes full circle, where we find common ground with uh, like radical feminists is uh, you, you've seen this argument before where we, when we talk about being anti-abortion, women will talk about how, well, if I am stuck with this child, then there should be something that makes sure the man stays around also, because this is also his responsibility. And I'm like, Oh, you mean marriage? You're talking about marriage. Like that's the institution that makes sure that the man stays around to be a part of the family and contribute to the raising of this child. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. You just don't have a, a worldview that gives you the, it's just CS Lewis put it uh, that we're, uh, we're, we're, we'd rather be playing outside with mud pies when a feast is waiting inside for us. Right. Yeah. But we're, you know, those, those are too easily pleased. Yes. Yeah. Cause those are our mud pies. Yeah. I didn't, I, you know, I don't know who made that feast, but these are my mud pies. I made these. We're, we're so proud of them. Yeah, it's insane, man. <laughs> <laughs> so there's hope in there Christ, is hope. scripture, yes. and, and and following God's model for men and women and family and those things. Absolutely. And maybe you know, maybe to end on the, just this verse because I, I think it's it's forgotten and lost and uh, just kind of this idea when we talk about education, it, it shouldn't be strange that we talk about it from a Christian perspective. 
the fear of the Lord is beginning in wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And I, I believe in the epistles, it also says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Like the whole idea through and through in the Bible is that to find wisdom, you seek Christ. To find wisdom, you seek God. To find knowledge, you seek the Holy One. I don't know why we don't think like that anymore. Like we think it's a separate thing. Like we can get knowledge apart from God, which I mean, talk about Eden, right? Like that was the whole gimmick. It's like, okay, we can, yeah, you can, you can take knowledge for yourself apart from what God is willing to give you. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre that we, same trick. We fall for it constantly. Well, I mean, we're just devolving into absurdity, you know, like right. Piper said, we, you know, we, we, we teach these kids in public schools that they're, really nothing but animals. And then we get surprised mm -hmm. when we're killing each other in these schools like animals. <laughs> it, like, what are we teaching about humanity of what, who these kids are? You're stardust. You're evolved societies of bacteria. There is no truth. Like, okay, well then guess what? That matter is gonna start colliding into other matter. Right. And, and guess what? We care. You know, we actually do care about that because we know there's a God. We know that, that, that things ought not to be that way, even mm -hmm. despite what, that could that could even might teach us. Right. <laughs> trying, trying to teach us. <laughs> so yeah. to bring it in, uh, Solomon, what have you been reading this week? Uh, well, I didn't read this this week. I read it a long time ago, but it's next on my <laughs> book review. Mm. Uh, How to Die mm. by Seneca. <laughs> this is the book of 2020. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I read this. I read this like in June or July. I was like, when you know, when we're halfway through 2020. And, <laughs> <laughs> I think but, I ran into uh, you when you were picking that up or you had just finished it. Yeah. One of those, uh, these are cool. So this is, uh, how to die by Seneca, uh, ancient stoic philosopher, you know, Seneca, uh, these are from, uh, Princeton, uh, press. Yeah. Let me get that right. And these are called the, uh, ancient wisdom for modern readers. So these are like really very accessible, very, uh, readable ancient literary philosophical, you know, philosophical works by philosophers. Uh, and what's really cool about these is that they have usually on one side of the page, they have the English and on the other side, they have the Greek or Latin, mm. like whatever the original language was, which is kind of cool. If you know how to speak those slides, which if you, <laughs> which you were raised in a classical Christian education, you could read those languages. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> if you do the classics at all, this is what we're talking about. The classics. Um, so, but this one has it like at the back, the first half is English and the last half is, uh, Latin. looks like, mm. uh, yeah, it's not Greek. Um, so that's very short, very small. So this is actually half of the size that it actually is because a lot of those, the last half is in Latin. Right. Uh, so the first half is, half is in English, but it's just very like, uh, for the modern reader, ancient wisdom for, for the modern reader. But this is like, uh, this was Seneca's philosophy of, how to die well, I guess. Mm. And Seneca didn't believe in an afterlife. So yeah, if you don't believe in afterlife, why stay here? If you're miserable, that was kind of his whole point behind this book is, which is kind of weird. Cause it's like, at least he was consistent, right? Like, <laughs> look, There's nothing before you were born. There's nothing after you die. And mm. that's what you believe. And you're in miserable pain and like agony in this life. Just check out. And that's what is, like, it's kind of like, yeah, it says, human condition is a good one in that no one is unhappy except by his own fault. Are you pleased? Then live. Are you displeased? Then you are allowed to return from whence you came. <laughs> you often let your blood to ease a headache. Well, they used to. Uh, a vein is, <laughs> bloodletting. A vein is cut right through as a means of weight loss. 
I would not recommend that. Uh, it takes no deep wound to split apart your vitals. The road to that great freedom is opened with a small blade, and safety wow. is gained in a snip. So he's saying just kind of yeah, make a main artery, and you're out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, wow. But I think there might be some things kind of lost in translation because later on he does say, too, it's the mark of a great soul to turn back toward life for the sake mm -hmm. of others, for the sake of others. And great men have often done so. Nothing seems more disgraceful to me than to wish for death. You know, so it's like, so um, there might be some things kind of lost in translation as far as like what he valued life. Cause I think he did. Right. He was actually forced to commit suicide. This is him doing wow. it by Nero, mm -hmm. the beast from right. Revelation that post mill people like Julian Lackley. <laughs> <laughs> Nero, yeah, forced him to commit suicide in this little basin to like basically slit his wrist and commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So he kind of knew what he's talking about, I guess, of how to die. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, but it, you know, it did remind me of uh, Philippians one, where Paul is talking about uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to right. live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what Seneca is saying. Um, to just gain some truth from this of like, you know, uh, for, for great soldiers turn back toward life for the sake of others. And great men have often done so. I'd say Paul is one of those great men that have done those. Uh, who has done that, who has cho chosen to live. So you see Paul kind of struggling with this, like to, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, right. you know, I have work to do while I'm here for your sake to do it. But I really want to go see Jesus. Like, <laughs> you know, and if you know anything about Paul's life, that is understandable. Uh, but so I don't know, it's kind of interesting, like to see this, uh, pagan godless worldview, ancient philosopher kind of getting things right. As far as like live for others, if you're going to live, do it for others. And, and that's, we have work to do. Cause that was, you know, somebody asked like, well, if you're a Christian and you're going to go to heaven in some amusement park in the sky, when you die, why don't you just kill yourself? Isn't that better? Like, <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah, but we have work to do and right. to live is, to live is Christ. Well, that's a pretty mm -hmm. good reason to live. Right. right. And so we have work to do as sort of sharing the gospel. And that's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not some death cult to go kill yourself mm -hmm. and be in heaven. Like just punch your heaven ticket and then come come up here. It's mm -hmm. no, no, go in, in to all nations and share the word of Christ. So to live as Christ, mm -hmm. to die is gain. But there also, there's also this idea of uh, what I think a Christian could take away from this book is uh, where he says, but to those who live for hope, each moment as it draws near slips away and instills greediness. And the thing most wretched and cause of all most wretched things, the fear of death. Right. And so that kind of reminds me too of like death, where is thy sting? Like, mm. you know, there's no, we should not fear death in that regard as far as like this, this life is all we have. So we got to cling to it and make it, right. you know, the best we can. Right. We should right. do as much as we can, but this, we don't, our, our hope is not in this earthly world, in this life. Life is a vapor, you know, we're, we're, we're blank and, and we're gone. Um, and to live with Christ anyway. So like uh, just reading this as a Christian, just kind of understanding the value of life, the consequences of death, you know, those things mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, really interesting, really quick read. Like you probably read this at night. Um, yeah. And you can say you read Seneca. So like, <laughs> again, but yeah, I, I, I recommend I, it. Kind of don't kill yourself. But. 
I know you've uh, you pumped up some of the other ones too because they've done a whole series. So what are some of the other ones they have in there, just in case anyone is interested? The other one by Seneca uh, that I've read is really good. There's a whole series of books, which I mean, they look just per- they're all how to. They're all in these like. Right. So this one is like selected works from Seneca on serenity of mind. You know, mm-hmm. like that's the actual Latin work. And then there's an actual Latin work from Seneca called um, De Ira like from anger, you know, on anger mm. is like what he's talking about. And so in the uh, Prentice, academic, academic Prentice Press, they, they're in these little how-to books. My lovely wife just brought these to me. Um, <laughs> look at that. Nice. How great does that look on your shelf? <laughs> and it's even more how- impressive when someone opens it and there's Latin inside. so the other one that i would really recommend that i'll probably do a a a review on is uh how to keep your cool so this is on anger and you're like how to be a leader of plutarch how to win an argument i haven't read this one yet i just bought this one cicero and then how to think about god by cicero which is you know stoic pagan idea of god but um really cool books really quick reads really accessible and readable if you want to like read the classics but like don't know latin that's a great way to do it um but yeah the other one i would recommend is that uh how to keep your cool and look at this crazy guy on the front (laughs) (laughs) a roman losing his cool right and seneca Seneca was a tutor to nero nero so i think he kind of knows what it's like to lose your cool and the values of it (laughs) That, that actually really did help as far as like uh do not uh, dish out discipline in anger as a parent, mm. how to keep your cool, like the, like uh, kind of really focusing on anger, really, really cool stuff. Um, so I'll probably do a, a recommendation on that one too, but the, so this is just the next one on my reading list that I read this year. So, uh, how to cool. die. By Available all where all books are sold. Yeah. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all that. So cool. recommend that. But don't cool. so. <laughs> read the book. Don't die. Uh, so cool. I feel like this was a good discussion. I feel like we gave you, we, we're just laying a base for you. We're not telling you how to do it yet, but if you get the magazine, we might actually give you a kind of a roadmap on how to do that. So once again, uh, if you're interested in that, it's absolutely free. All we need to know is where you live and what your name is. So send us an email. I'm Samzine at gmail.com. We'll make sure we get you one of those, uh, but do it soon because we're gonna have to go to print soon. So uh, I'm going to say the cutoff date is going to be the 15th of October. If we don't have an email from you by the 15th, you're not getting one. So late October, we're looking to get them out to you. Cool. So until then, uh, I'm Julian. This is Solomon. This has been the time and the place. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Bye.